welcome to The Perfect Blend, the podcast where we pair the books we read with a delicious cup of tea. I'm Shelley Haskell. And I'm Candy Beaker. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Perfect Blend. I'm Candy. Hey, hey I'm Shelley. And we are so happy you are here today. It's last, I think it's the last week in November. It is the last week in November. <laughs> and we have a book about family <laughs> called The Nest by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. Yep. This was Cynthia Sweeney's first published book. She was a freelance writer, I think, for lots of different magazines. And she decided to go back to school at 50 to study fiction writing. Bless her. I think that's amazing. I love these late in life bloomers because it gives me hope. Yes, very inspiring. I was thinking the same thing. She is the oldest of four. And while in New York doing college tours on the weekend and a freak October snowstorm, they met for a family brunch. And she had this image of the four siblings meeting to have a difficult conversation having drinks at a bar it just was something in her life that was a catalyst for the spread out slightly dysfunctional family the meeting of unconnected things that a writer sees and says huh i wonder what if this were such and such what Mm -hmm. would the story be if this were what was happening with these unrelated things and i I love hearing how people find their stories Mm -hmm. very interesting it ended up being a tv show and i found that out just yeah i just found that out when i was doing the research for her on this i have not seen it so i may be checking it out over christmas when i have a chance to just veg in front of shows very inspirational so you know midlife that mid-century mark is an opportunity to start new and there are just so many examples of this and uh very inspiring for me anyway so what tea did you pick to go with our book the nest i have uh, a plum deluxe tea that's called the Kitchen Table Blend Black, but it's black tea and green tea, lemongrass, rose petals, jasmine flower, lemon, lime, orange, and grapefruit essence. It's very citrusy, um, so it's kind of a great morning tea, but it's meant to bring everybody around the table and just have good discussions, which is what we're doing. I love it. And that's I, what they I, did. <laughs> I am also with Plum Deluxe, and I picked Crystal Clarity Oolong oh. with lemon peel, basil leaf, and calendula. I thought oh. this was a book that Clarity was definitely needed because there's lots of things that are secrets and being unsaid and unspoken and misinterpreted. Yeah. Lots of interesting things going on. Is your tea very citrusy too? It sounds Not like really. Yeah. Not really. And the basil is not as strong as I thought it would be. Mm. You know, because basil is a very strong herb and it can be overpowering, but it's not in this tea. It's really good. I wonder what kind of basil. You know, there's so many basils. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of teas have that. Whole, is it holy basil? Holy basil? Holy, holy basil. Holy basil. Yeah. That's right. I think a lot of teas have that instead of a Italian or sweet basil. It does have a very lemony scent to mm-hmm. it. The basil doesn't take over. Mm-hmm. I love basil. I love basil too. It is a versatile plant. I use it in so many things. Mm-hmm. I grew different ones this year. Next year, I want to expand my basil. Wasn't the pineapple basil the one that you grew? No, that's pineapple That was pineapple sage. sage. Which, that, by the way, that is smelled huge so good. and still <laughs> blooming. It is huge. I'm going to have to find a new place for it next year because it just took over. Amazing. Well, I love to always grabbing a leaf of that out at your yard. Well, you can have as much as you want and put it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll do that. Come harvest. Yes. We both want to thank you for giving us a listen. We would love it if you would leave comments or book suggestions and leave a five-star 
five-star review on Apple or Spotify if you enjoy your time with us. Yes, that would be wonderful because we would like to hear what books you want to hear about and what teas we pair them with. The Nest is a story of the Plum siblings, and it takes place in New York in the aftermath of 9-11. After the 2008 financial crisis, the siblings all come together when they find out that their joint trust fund, one that they're all counting on for various desperate reasons, has been used to get their oldest brother out of a bad situation of his own creation. Uh. That's true. The story was a wandering kind of a story, meaning it went through the family's lives and even some background characters got equal billing (laughs) point of views kind of in this story. It was a tricky book because for a while I was, what is going on? And I had to keep checking. And I told you, I think when I was starting, I was like, I got to take notes. There are a bazillion people in this book. There are so many people. I have to keep up with who's who. But the ending, the last third, maybe Mm -hmm. good chunk of the middle to the end, whatever, that became so rich because we took that walk with all those characters. Right. And so I really loved that she took the time, even though I wasn't quite ready at that moment. I had to say, oh, this is a little more serious read. I had to sit and think about it or write some things down. I couldn't just listen to it in the background as I'm doing things. It's kind of different than some of like the last book we did. And so this one, I felt like I needed to spend a little more time with the characters, take a little bit of time, get to know them. And it pays off in this beautiful story. Mm-hmm. The cover is, to me, very deceptive because the first time I read this, sometimes Sometimes the cover gives you a hint, uh-huh. but I had no idea, no expectation. I listened to this the first time I read it. I was going back and forth to work and didn't know what to expect and had no idea what it was going to be like. I liked that it was told there was no one main character. It was all perspective. And we get all these background stories. And just like you said, it's slow starting because you're trying to figure out what's going on. And then it all comes together to figure things out like for the ending. It was interesting. It wasn't what I was expecting. It's been so long since I read it. I kind of remembered it was about the siblings having issues, but not all the details. So it was good to read it again because I had forgotten so much of it that it was good to start over. A couple of reviews were like really scathing about the, the meandering part. But then there was other people who had exactly the opposite reaction on Goodreads Mm -hmm. or whatever. It was like, this was the best book. And I guess that's with all books, but I really appreciated how she went about it. And for her first novel, kudos. It was great. Yeah, exactly. One review, some review of the book compared it to a Nancy Meyer movie. Like something's got to give or it's complicated. Do you agree Mm -hmm. with that? Do you think it was... I don't think it was comedic enough for that. No, I I was trying to think like I thought about like wealthy New York families, like maybe the Royal Tannenbaums or something was what kind of gave a parallel kind of <laughs> crazy. I think it would have been comedic had it not been set if this family wasn't in the aftermath of two of our most devastating events of the last right. I also 20 think, years. I also think the characters, the situations that they had put themselves in, it wasn't comedy. It was very no, sad. Okay. It was very frustrating that everybody has issues doesn't matter what your age or what your status people count their chickens before they've hatched it happens all the time it is a life thing but i didn't see this as a funny rom-com kind of movie like it's complicated or something's got to give very different any of these characters settings if it was leo was the main point of view because he wasn't i mean there wasn't really one specific protagonist although leo is the catalyst amongst all the difficulties due to his debauched type lifestyle Mm -hmm. i think he is 
a true 80s kind of spoiled Wall Street or wealthy New Yorker that took it to the, my money will always be there. This is for now and forever without seeing what his family put into it mm -hmm. to get him to have those wealthy. Also his whatever. selfishness. Yeah. His it's selfishness. all about me and how wonderful I am and look at me and what I do. And I'm a mover and a shaker and all of this. And he was a selfish prick is what he was. <laughs> he was, he was most definitely that. The story starts with a tragedy. Once we realize what's really going on and we see a little bit of how bad it is but not truly mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of time literally time in the world of the book before everybody realizes what the truth was and leo did and i do believe it changed him i wouldn't say for the better no 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 i'm not saying it, he had a big arc and came around that's not true at all no but it changed his life he went to rehab and i think of him as maybe fun loving and carefree at the beginning and I think of him more as bitter and spiteful after. Like I think he was just selfish mm -hmm. because even at the beginning I can understand the acrimonious relationship that he was feeling towards his spouse because they just she was probably just as bad as he was but even his sister she mentioned getting together for Thanksgiving which was months away because this took place in the summer and he was like, God, why? I don't know if you think about that. Why would you want to get together with anybody? He seems like a selfish person. And even after, it's selfish. Everything he does is to either gratify himself or promote himself or protect himself. Like he's some special thing. He has to protect this bubble that he's created about himself. And he just doesn't care about anybody else. He has the means to do what he needs to do. And he refuses to do that. I, I think he, I do think when he started his literary magazine, mm -hmm. I felt like he had a lot of great ideas and it was early on in the internet craze. And I think he had the ability to be very creative, but he didn't know how to pull himself through for the long haul. I think he thought this one burst should be a enough to sustain him forever with yes. accolades and stuff. And then he had a lot of bravado and salesmanship to kind of schmooze and keep going. But it came to a halt, mainly because, like you said, his selfishness, his lifestyle guy. Truly, he sold out. Mm -hmm. He sold out to take the easy way, mm -hmm. the glamorous lifestyle. Mm -hmm. He really did. Not worrying about how it affected everybody else. He <laughs> never, never, ever worried about how his consequences affected. Well, no, he didn't. I would say all of the siblings. Maybe not B. I think B was more introspective than the others, but all of them did things without thinking of the consequences of how it's going to affect the people around them. That's true. I mean, that's definitely true. They show his, how their mother, very little bit of their mother and their father, but very little bit, but they had a very difficult, strange childhood. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe wealthy people might have these childhoods where the mother is just a tipsy socialist all the time and doesn't really think about how to raise the children. Yeah. So on a scale of one to 10, how dysfunctional is the Plum family in your opinion? <laughs> I think they're as functional as any other family. I think that they were much more real as characters. Mm -hmm. They all had to find a way to make their life work. They did rely on this nest, nest egg that was right. going to be for them. So I think their dad was expecting them to 
build and do and be adults and have their stuff. And then at the end, in their later years or retirement years, maybe this will be a little bit to pay off the house or drag you along a little bit farther or something. I don't think it was supposed to set them up. No, and it was supposed to be an extra. And he set it up so they wouldn't get it till the youngest turned 40, which made all of the older siblings, well, three of the older siblings, two of the older siblings upset because, well, we've already passed that point. She's still going to be young. She's going to be able to do things. We're, we're, and he's like, it's not, don't count your chickens before they hatch. This isn't supposed to save you. This is supposed to give you a little boost. And they all started counting their chickens before they hatched. Well, the nest grew beyond what they all thought was going to be possible. And right before the 2008 bust of everything, there was a huge amount of growth in stocks and bonds and, and wealth. And it reflects that part, which probably is a fallout of the 9-11 bombings and stuff, because things have a domino effect. Mm-hmm. And the 2008 crisis hit New York pretty hard. And if you were in investing, those things did go down. So that's why they all were struggling a little bit more, I think, because they were used to maybe a more elaborate lifestyle. And definitely the mother, Francie, their mother was a pill. And she was the only one who could get a hold of it for any other reason. And so Leo needed it. (laughs) She didn't have in the nest. She had her own money. Oh, okay. So she didn't have to take anything. She didn't take anything out of the kids stuff but she took out the kids stuff for leo for leo and his actions and the consequences of those actions but but she did that not really for leo but her for her new husband and protecting his and her reputation so she didn't want to be tainted by what her son did her new husband didn't want to be tainted by what her son did so they used the money sacrificed all the children's nest egg for protecting themselves truly Right. That's true. That's Big true. And, and, and they didn't tell they didn't tell the kids that that's what they were doing. I guess Leo knew, but actually he didn't know. Because no, when because... he came to the, that's right. When he came when they all came to, to dinner, he realized at that point that they didn't know ahead of time. He was thinking he was thankful that they decided to help him out. Right. And and then he realized he was coming into a situation where really they would rather hang him than look at him. Right. They won their money back. And the their cousin George is the lawyer. Mm-hmm. He comes and swoops in. And makes things happen. So Leo is taken care of. Everybody is, for all intents and purposes, taken care of. And it's hushed up. So there's no scandal. There's no anything. It's just that the siblings' nest egg that they've been counting on is gone. And two of them are in a sheer panic. I don't think one of them is really about the nest egg, per se. It's about, it's a relationship kind of thing with her. But two of them are in dire straits because they were counting on that money. Yeah. So Jack was actually one of my favorite characters characters and I'm so sorry that he had such a rough go of it with Walker but Jack I think he was one that I could relate to in this sense He really thought that he was doing the right thing, trying to help his get ahead by taking out some loans. And then the bottom fell out and the money wasn't flowing in the way it was before. And so he had to reach out and kept trying to finagle ways to keep what they had without letting Walker know. Walker know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I felt really bad for him because I don't think that he meant to have such a treacherous thing happen and he didn't know how to get out of it. And he could have been more forthright but I felt bad because I felt like they had a good relationship in this situation where he got in over his head and didn't take advantage of trying to be honest with his partner 
really did him in. And that was sad. <laughs> I did not really sympathize with him. I think that Walker's assessment of him at the end was spot on because he really didn't do anything for them. He was doing it for himself and he was willing to wipe them out in secret to do all these things that he wanted to do. And that would have been horrible had Walker had everything that he had worked for, saved for, thought they were both going to be doing at the end, wiped out from under his feet. And it didn't come quite that close, but still he was immature and he was yeah. selfish. They were all selfish. And they I were think all their, selfish. Their upbringing, they didn't know any different because there was no, their mother was selfish. That's all they had. And she didn't help at all in the situation. Well, so they were like, self-preservation always. And that is a big sign of dysfunctional upbringing. <laughs> right. When you can't trust anything to be secure for you, mm -hmm. then you are trained in self-preservation. And they all did work from that in some way. Totally. Yes. They all worked from... I have to think of me first. How can I make this better for me? And then the people that I love will be okay. That's, I think, also another unwritten part that you're kind of glossing over. They also thought me first, and then I can have my, my loved ones be okay. With the exception of Leo, I'll agree to that. Not Leo. Not at all. Because when Leo decides to make his move, everything about Leo... <sighs> He is in everybody's best interest that he leaves, in my opinion. So maybe he was doing the best thing because yes. everything that he touches, he does, is he ruins, he, he ruins. ruins because he just he takes everything he can take, and when things get rough or they don't go in his favor, he shuts down on them and he has nothing to do with them. It's like you're either with everything I want to do the way I want to do it or you're against me and okay. once I see that you're against me I want nothing to do with you I'm done and that's what he does but I will say he does one redeeming thing at the end I think he has a realization that he does something that is probably the best thing he could have done for his family <laughs> I really do when that happened I was yes that's what you should have done that's right that's what you should have done <laughs> and there are lots of other little pieces to this that come together which I thought was interesting how all of these people who aren't supposed to know each other they end up in the story and being part of things i like yeah. the way that tied together and it was very plausible the way it, it tied together tommy o'toole and matilda the, rodriguez the, yes. benny massaro uh -huh. i love all those, of those characters i loved how those all tied together for sure mm -hmm. that was a tragic sadness but it was still a good story lying on the side that you really got into mm -hmm. for a good chunk of the book so it was th that part is where if you didn't know if you couldn't see how these things were come together and kind of you couldn't so right. that's where it was sort of like what where are we now what is going on and then i'm like are we just having new york stories and i think that's where everybody starts when they give comments that this story kind of wanders that is where it starts to wander but it's not clear how each of those connect to the plum family except for maybe be Tommy. I mean, they all have their parts. You right. do remember that. But then as those stories start to weave themselves together in this other sub story, it was it was very interesting. I like how that all came together. Yes. I did like that. And I like how the characters, they did evolve. Sometimes characters that have such unredeemable qualities, you just don't like them. And they really, like the one, the shadow under the glass, she never redeemed herself. 
Right. But slowly, torturously slowly, you see these characters start to evolve. And you know, you said your favorite character was probably Jack. I think mine was B. I like B a lot too. I tell you though, I was kind of, why did you like her? You talk about her and I'll have something to say about her too. <laughs> she didn't have the difficulties that the other ones had. Like I said, hers was more relational, wanting those relationships and not being able to have them. And she was just quirky and eclectic. And she didn't quite fit in. She didn't have the surety because she was putting her talent and her self-esteem, she gave that to somebody else that she wanted it back from. It's like she had to have that permission in order to say, yes, I am a writer. I'm good at this. And when she lost that, she lost herself and lost her way. But I just loved the quirkiness. Maybe it's because she's a writer and she's quirky and she shops at thrift stores. I don't know. Maybe I just identify with her a little bit and she really evolved and I think where the other ones were more antagonized by their siblings she was the one who was always trying to find the connections and connect them so I like that about her too she was and I do think that she tried to live more within her means and did not put so much of their life's goals on this nest I don't think that she really did that the way the others did so I agree with you on that but I will say that she was one her writing was based on stories about Leo. Mm-hmm. So her writing, really what people loved about it was this outrageous character who was her brother. And two, when there was no more Leo stories, there was no B stories. Right. And so she did not fulfill her own abilities like she could have. And she did get caught up in what people thought of her. She kind of got stuck. She and, was. She was absolutely stuck. And then when she wrote her other story, <laughs> I was mad. I did not think that those tragedies were hers to tell. Right. And I really did not like that she was using particularly Matilda's problems, her downfall too, mm-hmm. and other people in that story. To me, it was an easy way out and it was sensationalized. And I was very upset that that's the route that but do she you was think taking. She, do you think she did it for being the sensationalism or do you think she did it because it's a story about leo she did say even in it she had her story and she was horrified yeah that she had the story okay so in saying that i get that she couldn't get beyond that she had given her self-esteem her talent she had put it in leo's hands Mm -hmm. and she was just waiting for him to give approval she just wanted his approval like a puppy dog or her hero worship i guess you would say because she kept giving that to him and waiting and then she writes this piece but in saying that why do you think leo when he left it on the bench i guess for paul uh why did he put on there to publish it as the last story archie story because he put that on there yeah he put it in the notes but he knew he was because he knew he was he was leaving he wasn't gonna have to deal with the fallout mm-hmm. and also but the family would the family's the fam- gonna yeah. be yeah but also okay so he's gonna bug out but i think he really settled with the realization of whatever Stephanie said that nobody cares. So he's going to bug out and and he realizes he's not the big thing that he thought he was. He's getting all these rejections. Nobody really cares about him. And he thinks he's so important and he is so last year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the fad has passed. Nathan, yes. He he laid him out. He did. And, and he did it well. Yes, yes. He did it well. He did it with some panache, I thought. He dressed him down well. And Stephanie dressed him down 
down and he's starting to hear some truths about himself. So maybe it was just kind of a big F you. I'm out of here and publish it if you want. I don't care. I don't care about you. I don't care about anything. Yeah. I don't know. I think he was just, <laughs> I'm glad he got his come up from somebody who really kind of set him straight. Mm-hmm. Stephanie was one that could kind of tell it like it was to him as well. But nobody told him like Nathan did. And I think he needed that. Oh, yeah, he did. He needed a little reality check. Because mm-hmm. he felt like he had all this power. He's holding it over his siblings. He thinks he's just going to jump back in with all this. I love it when Nathan says, is that a PowerPoint deck? <laughs> <laughs> And it does show how fast, yeah, it shows how fast things change. And in 2000, you know, it really shows a lot about the financial ways and the speed of changing in the literary industry Mm -hmm. from the 90s to the 2010s, 2020s. Things are so different Mm -hmm. uh, from that time period from the Gen Xers. (laughs) The poor Gen Xers. We've had it rough. I think we had it better. We got to see it start, but we also got to experience it beforehand. And I think we're better for it. Yes, it's all good. The change in technology has been incredibly interesting for our yes, lifetime. It's been explosive. Mm-hmm. It really has. One thing I'd like to say is we were talking about Leo did give B permission basically to publish and he hightailed it out of there to let go of the consequences. But he also knew it was good and he knew that there would be some financial gain. And mm-hmm. if that could be the financial gain from his fuck up without touching his own money, we understand that part too, then maybe the family can recoup some of their losses. And they did. And the, the way he did it though was even a big F you to B. And all B ever wanted. Oh, yeah. He he had to all, do it in some all dumb she thing. wanted was his love as a sibling, his support. And he would dole out a little bit, but if she got too needy or it just got to be too much, he would just cut her off and just shut her out. He was yeah. such a prick. And that's the best word for him. He was a prick because she wanted nothing. She wanted nothing but to be family with him. And he just treated her so badly. It's like, I'm feeling generous today. I'll dole out a little appreciation or what you would consider affection. But I really don't have any affection because my emotions don't run that deep or that true. (laughs) It's just not in his DNA at all. And the way he did it, he just left it sitting there. He's like, oh, I see Paul over there. He'll see it. He's going to come over to the bench because this is where we usually meet. And I'm just going to go off with this stranger while he's watching me and acknowledge to him that, yes, I see you. And I'm not even going to have the courtesy to wave goodbye or wait for you to say something to you. And I'm going to leave this satchel that means something to be the satchel that he gave her, that she carried her book around in like a a talisman. He just left it on the bench. Maybe Paul would get it. Maybe not. He was, it was so, uh, I didn't know. Uh, that was just so, so he's so duplicitous. So it's like you said, he wanted one. Leo's life is strange. He was just sitting there. This beautiful girl comes up and he's not a beautiful man by this point mm-hmm. and remembers him and thinks he has some influence and he hasn't changed. He's off hot trotting it with this young thing. But at the same time, he has this very important thing for his family, this complete admonishment of his life right there. And he knows Paul comes to that because 
Paul's like, by the clock guy, you're going to mm-hmm. you can almost predict everything he's going to do. And he's like, well, he'll get this. And he just leaves it to the fate, but not just that. He like, I already know how this is going to end. If I just mm-hmm. walk away right now, I already see what's going to happen. And, mm-hmm. and that assurance in the nature of things is something that Leo has beyond maybe some of his siblings. I mean, that was just weird that he did that, you know? I and, think it and- was just a big, another in the many FUs that he did to the people that he was involved with. He's sitting there judging Stephanie based on this woman who just walks up to him and starts flirting with him. She's starting to show signs of aging, the wrinkles around her eyes, and she's getting a little bit jowly. Yeah, and so I'm shallow. thinking, look in the mirror. I bet you're not a prize yourself. He's not, he's you're not, not a prize I'm... at all. And you're nope. sitting there judging her. And he's... She's right at the precipice because things aren't going his way. Stephanie didn't agree with him. She said something that he can't forgive or won't forgive. Mm -hmm. And so he's sitting on this bench with a little thing of cocaine in his pocket, a cigarette, all the things he's not supposed to be having. And a woman comes up. So it's just this trifecta of, I'm getting ready. That's so strange, don't you think? Well, he has decided that he is going to do one of these things and he is Oh, he's going to do something bad and He's going to do (laughs) something. something he just can't decide what he's going to do to start it off so he just it's like i'm out of here i'm blowing this joint i don't care what happens to b stuff i don't care anything about b and i'm letting her know and everybody know that by leaving her precious stuff here on this bench for fate to take it or i don't care what nobody knew he doesn't care about anything but nobody knew about it paul i don't even know paul told her that leah left it on the bench he just had it right because she i don't think she really realized that i mean he had she doesn't realize Thinks, Paul doesn't spell out. To Paul. Yeah. Yes. Paul doesn't spell out that he left it on the bench and just walked away before he could even talk to him. He spares her that. Yeah. Or spares and all she, that. And B, uh-huh. all she sees are the notes. And she gets that whatever she needs from him, that approval that she's been waiting for from him in her in the notes that they could publish it or whatever she wanted to do. And but with this book, some of the disparities in the families were rectified because B was generous enough to share some of her wealth that she got. But you well, know, not from that book. She didn't publish that book. Right. No. She, she didn't publish oh, it. Yeah, she yeah. put it in a drawer. But she just took her part of the nest. They had access to whatever was left in the nest because Melody had her birthday party. That mm-hmm. oh we gotta talk about a birthday party. So Melody <laughs> Melody turns 40. Jack's husband Walker brings them all together because he has heard so much about this. And so every Everybody comes together. They're getting ready to get their whatever's left in the the nest. And all of these secrets start being revealed at a fast, furious, and extremely upsetting pace. Because everybody's so ready to share why they are so needy. (laughs) Well, they think Leo's coming and they think Leo is going to be their savior. And secrets, the things that each family member has kept start coming out. (sighs) Stephanie comes instead of Leo and throws up immediately as she gets into the house. (laughs) She just starts vomiting all kinds of stuff. But she tells them that Leo has done a bender. He's gone. He's been gone for two weeks. This leads to all kinds of troubles. And poor Melody, who at 40 years old has never had a birthday party that was anything exciting. Melody has been waiting for a birthday party. She's never had one. She's always denied herself one. The one that she did have was a disaster when she was a teenager. So she is so looking forward to this. Walker is making this a huge event. He loves to entertain. I would have loved to have been at their house just to see all of the things, you know. Mm-hmm. 
And then Stephanie comes in, says Leo's done a bender. He's gone for two weeks. But everything starts to spill and it just becomes this Armageddon <laughs> and everybody leaves. So poor Melody never gets her birthday party. They don't have any resolution with the money. No. It's... But but B steps up with some strength. And I love that about her because yeah. she is about family. She's not about what she needs. She is about family. That is what I think she seeks the most. Everybody else is seeking money for different things and different purposes. And they let all the other stuff that they're doing get in the way and start being excuses for they're doing this for their loved ones, but they're really doing it for them. But she makes a sacrifice for everybody. She does. And I think everybody else does get to come together more because of this. One of the things I want to say is where do you think the Plum family is now? We're looking at the girls are probably grown and little Lila is, I maybe, I don't know what year this was. This came out in like 2016, but I don't know. So, yeah. So we're looking at six or eight years later, but I wonder if they would be a closer family now. Well, it does say in the end, when Lila gets married under that tree, Uncle Jack's going to walk her down the aisle. Mm -hmm. And I think after this catalyst, they all start seeing each other as they are and not as they grew up. And seeing the, themselves as they are. Yeah. And seeing themselves as they are and not using their past and their learned behaviors to continue fueling negative choices. Yes. And I think that that clears the way for appreciating each other as they are. Taking responsibility for their own actions. Yes. They look at helping Melody help helping her daughters in the right way and the girls taking more responsibility of this is what we can afford in college not all these private schools that well, we they never at. really wanted that that was yeah. melody push 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 that's right and she never listened she nope. was just bound and determined they were going to have the life that she had wanted that she had wanted her mother to be she was going to be that person regardless if that's the mother that Louisa and Nora needed. Mm -hmm. So all of these secrets getting blown out of the water basically make them own up to their stuff. They lose a lot. They lose things that are very dear to them. And in that, they find themselves. Mm -hmm. So they had to have a rude awakening to find themselves. I think B losing Leo, when she could finally let him stay lost. He grew. Was yeah. when she started to grow. Yeah. So they all I grew from a big loss that needed to happen. Needed to happen happen for sure. Were you happy with the ending the way it ended? I think it tied up a lot of beautiful things and showed like you said some of the growth within the characters and I liked all the different pieces coming together. Would you ever have thought starting at the beginning with the way the characters were that they would have ended up having relationships and actually being a family. I, I'm telling you, the story, it, it was sprawling yes. and deceptive. You just kind of kept meandering in, but none of the pieces were wasted. I just loved it. None of the pieces were wasted in the sense that as you saw at the end, how they all came together and it gave you all these vignettes into even their characters past mm -hmm. in their younger years and things like that. It was really deep on so many levels of their development of inside those characters and I found it to be a perfect story for this time of year when you've just finished seeing all your family and reappreciating re your family and maybe remembering some of the difficult things in families and all the good things in families. 
So the dysfunctional it, in the family. The dysfunctional, <laughs> and every family has some dysfunction. How you can move through it, or you can be stalwarted through some things. Mm-hmm. And time does change things, and you can be stuck for years and still make a difference later on. I liked all of those timelines and storylines coming together in in those better ways. I did too. I appreciated it just as much as I did the first time I read it. When I started it, I just really all the siblings they were just sniveling little selfish brats who had never mm-hmm. grown up and never gotten past their childhood. It was just easier to blame their childhood on the choices that they made in the present time. But as you delve into them in the storylines, you start to appreciate them. And there are little glimmers of the people that they could be in their stories and that you hope you're going to see at the end. There's that, those little glimmers that you hope for. And then I really appreciated the ending. I think that what happened needed to happen so that they could move on in a good way. Wouldn't it be nice if all stories happened like that? I think everybody's life has chances to change. And if there's something in your family that you want to reach out for, you should reach out and talk. Always bridge those gaps. Don't be afraid. It's funny that you say that. I don't have any big, huge dysfunction in my family. But as my sister and I talk, the perspectives that we have on things, some things that I've grown up with and held on to, and I thought this was what other people thought, what what was perceived, and yeah. then have that conversation as we're older and find out that it's so flawed and that that's not the perception they have at all. And it's such an eye opener, but you just don't have that because some things you just bury deep and you carry with you and you think that they're yours to carry and you end up having a conversation and realize that's not what I'm thinking. And this is really what was going on that maybe you weren't aware of and it kind of makes puzzle pieces fit together that you didn't think ever belonged together <laughs> i don't know you that's get a, a perspective thing and be sure that you things that are in families and misconceptions or things that we see as a younger person we definitely don't see with full eyes mm-hmm. and it takes moving through life and looking back to see things a little more clearly that hindsight and i think that as we are me you my age we're older we're the older folks in the family we've got young folks kids and kids and grandkids and so we're seeing things that they're going through and you might want to give a lot of advice but <laughs> yeah and you, you appreciate you can't no because no, they don't want it advice. nope they don't want it it's not they're solicited. seeing things their own way right right and it's you're going from your perspective and now you are the people you used to rule your eyes <laughs> and I'm like I know I didn't listen to anybody so I might as well not open my mouth because my kids are like me <laughs> I know. So funny. Families. Families are great. They are great. great. It was a great snapshot of a family. Good story. I I enjoyed it. Definitely something that we recommend. I do recommend it wholeheartedly. We could talk about families all day. I mean, we could. We could, but we should turn off the recording. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I say that in jest. Yes, just joking. Everybody's got stories in their families. Everybody right. has stories. It's a fact of life. Hopefully you've got good ones that you can laugh about all later. Good stories. Right? They're yes, all good. good story. That's right. That's right. So we could talk about it all day, but we figure you have something to do. Maybe you haven't decorated for Christmas. You better get Maybe decorating. Maybe you still have family coming. Maybe you're starting to walk off your Thanksgiving dinner or you start your exercise program now instead of in January. You should start it now. Who knows? <laughs> I should have started it last Christmas. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Amen. Me too. 
All right. Well, we will be back next week. Same tea time, same tea channel. We have another seasonal read that I'm really excited about. And I think you are really going to enjoy it. I loved it. I can't wait to talk about it. And I love all of our books for December. I love our Christmas themed books. I'm super psyched. I am too. We have some good ones. I'm very excited. Find us on the usual channels, Spotify, Google, Apple, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also you can see what we're up to on the Perfect Blend underscore sc and on our website the hyphen perfect hyphen blend.com yes and facebook the perfect blend that's right so until next time read and, and sip, sip on, on.